This is Darrell Lalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 47. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye welcome to the before the millions podcast i'm your host deray olalaye and we're back for another jam-packed exciting week i have a question for you guys are we in a bubble are we in the middle of an impending crash should we be running for the hills right now These are questions that we ask ourselves every day, especially as real estate investors. These are scary times right now. I mean, we've been going strong for almost a good 10 years now. So for people looking to get into the real estate market or any type of investing market, is this the right time to do so? Should you be waiting? Should you be on the fence? Today's guest, Mr. Mark Walters, who's a third generation real estate investor. His grandfather was a real estate investor. His father was a real estate investor. And he naturally became a real estate investor. And we talked to him about where the market is right now and what he sees for the next few years and what he thinks newbie investors should do as far as jumping in and start investing, or if they should just kind of hold back and wait for the crash and start picking up properties really, really cheap. You can talk to the top two best economists in the world. You can talk to the, the best real estate investors and pick the top two. You can talk to literally everyone in every industry, and you're going to get a different answer as far as what we should be doing with our money. Should we be investing in such volatile times? So my answer is that nobody really knows the future. Mark has a very analytical way of looking at the situation. He believes that history repeats itself and that we are right now in the middle of a history repeating event. So he's going to talk about some of the warning signs and what he's doing with his money and how and when he's investing. Now, my personal opinion, if you do start investing now, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I applaud you for that. There were some people in 2011 that were like, man, I really, really missed the good deals. Like I should have started picking up property back in 08, 09 when things were at the bottom. Things have shot all the way up now. There's no way I'm going to start buying real estate now. So instead, I'm just going to wait. As soon as this crash happens again, which it always does, that's when I'm going to go pick up real estate. That's when I'm going to become a real estate investor. And that person that had that mindset of 2011 waited in 2012. The market kept going up. They waited in 2013. The market kept going up. They're like, man, if I would have bought in 2011, I would have been set, but they didn't buy. 2014 came around. The market kept going up. 2015 came around. The market kept going up. This person has to be really sick by now. Years wasted, sitting on the fence, not buying real estate. 
not buying cash flowing assets, not taking advantage of the market. 2016 came and gone. Market kept shooting up. 2017, the market literally just wanted to shoot straight up after that. And now we're at 2018 and we are at the highest point we have ever been. How much longer can this last? What should you be doing? If this goes on for another eight years, how would you feel? If the market crashes tomorrow, if there's a recession tomorrow, how would you feel? I always tell people it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. And why I say that is because no matter what, over the longer linear period of time, through all the recessions, all the depressions, all the booms, all the busts, through all of that, if you took a pencil and marked a straight line from where real estate was in 1900, the average price of a home, and you took your pencil and you drew a line all the way to where real estate is today in 2018, it shot drastically up. Now, between that period, there have been lots of recessions. There have been a few depressions, but over the longer time horizon, it's gone up. So this is why I say it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. That's why we on the show talk about long-term buy and hold investing. So long story short, if you can buy in a hot market like this market, if you can find good deals, then you are that much more prepared for a crash, for opportunity when opportunity comes knocking, because that's what that is. Most people fear the recession investors. We don't fear the recession. In fact, we go around trying to help as many people as possible because a lot of people are going to get in trouble during that time. A lot of people are going to be financially upside down. So guys, again, I'm really excited for this episode. I can't wait for you guys to hear Mark and his thoughts and his viewpoints on these things. Again, everybody has their own viewpoint. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Nobody can see the future. You'll hear Mark talk about some things and some viewpoints that you'll hear our next guest next week literally um, have the opposing points on the same topics. It happens all the time. And they're both successful real estate investors, but they both have a different way of looking at the market. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's behoove of us to hear all sides and make decisions on our own and for ourselves as far as what we want to do. That's why I bring these guests on the show. So without any further ado, let's get to the show. DeRay's Tip of the Week. So Tip of the Week, right? How present are you? How much are you actually living in the moment? How much are you actually living in this moment? And this moment? And this moment? I guarantee you, most of us, 99% of the time, we're living in the past or we're living in the future. I mean, literally right now, you're not even present. You're thinking about what just happened or what's about to happen or what your plans are for the rest of the day or what you're doing next month or where you're going in your car. How often are you present? How often do you bring yourself back to present time? Listen to your breathing. Look at your surroundings. Be appreciative of the environment that you're in. It takes a really, really conscious effort to be present. The mind is a powerful thing. The mind wanders to the past and wanders to the future all day, every day. But I think there's significant importance in being present, taking time out, to be in the here and now. Because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. What's happened in the past, you can't change. Your thoughts about the future are just thoughts. 
are just scenarios, 99% of which will never happen. Because think about it, you're thinking about a million different scenarios in your head at all times. And there's really only one scenario that's going to pan out because you have one life, you are one person. So how about taking some time today, right now, to be present, to be grateful? I'm not even talking about reflecting. I just want you to enjoy this moment and this moment and this moment. And that's it, guys. That's the tip of the week. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Today, I'd like to welcome Mr. Mark Walters to the show. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Good, Dre. How are you? I'm doing splendid. I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day here in Dallas, Texas, and I couldn't be any better, Mark. It's a pleasure to have you. For those of you who don't know who Mark is, Mark comes from a long lineage of real estate investors. And I believe, Mark, you started out your career as a real estate broker, but let's maybe give the audience uh, maybe 30 seconds. What are you currently focused on today? Oh, isn't that fun? Yeah. Well, being a third generation real estate investor and offering things since 1985 to other investors, I've seen a lot. I've been passionate about a lot of different things. I love starter houses. That's been a big thing. We can get in on that as we delve in here. But, you know, the market is prime for lots of different things right now. But I'm definitely more of a buy and hold kind of investor. And that's been my MO. It was my grandfather's way of doing it, my dad's and mine. So for those people looking to build some wealth through finding some affordable bargain houses and uh, turning them into potential cash flowing properties, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yes. And I imagine, Mark, you don't have the normal path of a real estate investor. I mean, your grandfather was a real estate investor. Your dad was a real estate investor. So let's maybe hop in the time machine. Let's talk about your upbringing and talk about uh, younger Mark and maybe some of your focuses early on and how you even and why and how you decided to kind of continue down the path that you saw that your father and your grandfather were on. You bet. Well, just a, a quick catch up. My grandfather started investing in houses in 1937 during the Great Depression in San Jose, California. So anybody who thinks that the economy is tough now at certain times, probably it paled in comparison to when he was trying to get things rolling back then. So I have the ultimate respect for him. But DeRay, one of the things besides him being an entrepreneur that I'd like to really share here and uh, because it's really a big part of our family history and our core values is he took a great deal of uh, pleasure and responsibility in helping people. That was one of his big joys and big purposes in life. So any type of entrepreneurialism that he did, that was part of it, which I think is honorable. And so back then and during the Great Depression, people needed a lot of help. They need a roof over their head. They needed food. They need a lot of things. So as he prospered, he helped a lot of people. So that being a core value, when my father then came around and he started learning the family real estate business from my grandfather, that was something that my grandfather shared as well, that core value of helping people. And then by the time I came around, that was just one of those things that was part of our family. So I learned about not only real estate, not only business and entrepreneurialism, but also helping people. And we started putting together courses and books and things like that back in 1985. You know, my dad was a prolific writer and he loved to share ideas. And essentially, the reason how all these decades later, you and I are now talking and we're sharing here is he shared in, because, you know, before the internet, the way that investors connected a lot of times were through newsletters. You know, there would be somebody who specialized in some facet of real estate and they'd have a newsletter and then they would have a nice mailing list of subscribers. 
And my dad was on one of those and he shared some of the marketing ideas that he had at the time. And uh, this person liked it a lot, said, hey, here's some ideas from Lloyd Walters, my father. And if you'd like to know anything else, here's his contact info. And so <laughs> that was the defining moment because people all across the country that belong to this uh, subscription, they liked what my father was sharing and they started contacting him. Hey, what else do you have? What else do you have? And so he, out of the kindness of his heart, would send out marketing pieces on his own dime, letting them know, well, these are some of the things I'm doing. And then they'd say, this is great. What else are you doing? And so we actually put it together, put together a book and then sold it, self-published. And people said, that's great too. What else do you have? And that just kind of got the whole ballgame rolling. So that started in 1985. And uh, we've never stopped sharing ideas and trying to help people at the same time. Obviously, you know, we're entrepreneurs as well. We make a little bit, but you know, we don't charge a heck of a lot. And it's just been a really great life experience for since 1985, so over 30 years. Let's maybe dive into your story a little bit. So let's maybe talk about Younger Mark and, and kind of your education in real estate and your upbringing. And, you know, maybe was real estate the path that you decided, you know, from inception that you were always going to be down? Were you always going to gear your life towards that? Or were you completely, you know, doing something totally different than what your father and grandfather was doing? And then, you know, later on, you kind of realized this is the right path to be on. How did that unfold? Yeah, that's a great question, DeRay. And like a lot of young people, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And, you know, I was really drawn to music at that point when I was early on. And so I played in rock bands in the 1980s. And I played, I was a lead singer, but I also played instruments and stuff too. And we would play in the clubs. And a lot of my friends went on to, you know, do things. You know, the drummer of our band used to jam with Cliff Burton and Metallica. And, you know, I've sang background a couple of Testament albums and my our roadie then went on to become the stage manager of Anthrax and I mean it just amazing time so that's when I was like a teenager and a little bit into my 20s but I realized quickly on that I really didn't have the chops to be able to do what these other guys that went on to do great things did so that's when I started looking into other things I became a real estate agent and then a real estate broker but because you know a lot of the input that I was getting from my father and my father's mentors as well uh, was about real estate investing so I wanted to do the real estate investing side. And at that point, even though, of course, California real estate has gone up a whole lot more than that, uh, it was still expensive back then, you know, the perception of, of everything and the numbers. And so at that point, DeRay, and for your listeners, you know, it's such an interesting thing because in the late... 1970s, early 1980s, of course, we had inflation and interest rates went over 20%. So I got to see that as a young person, you know, not in the game quite yet. And then when I became a real estate agent and then broker, really wanting to be a landlord, at the end of those, you know, the latter part of the 1980s, we had a savings and loan crisis similar to the one that we had in the 2000s and uh, because of the same kind of thing, bad loans. And so, certain parts of the country tanked just like we experienced in the 2000s for the same reasons. And so recognizing that, my family started looking at other parts of the country to move to because this is before the internet. You know, back then, you know, one of the things you'd hear from, from would-be real estate investors, well, that's great for you, but it doesn't work where I live. You know, so then a lot of times you'd hear the response, well, then move to where it does work. Now, of course, in the internet days here now, you can do a lot of remote investing and all kinds of things like that through the internet, which is great. But at that time, you know, it's like, well, okay, put your money where your mouth is. I moved to Phoenix, Arizona because we started charting in 1990 
And this is all relevant because history repeats itself as it did about 15 years later. But we started charting the Phoenix market in 1990. It was a disaster. We came out here just to look and there were literally real estate agents, Duray, on the corners of streets with folding tables and a sign that would say government owned home list. And you would drive around the neighborhoods and there would be all kinds of real estate for sale signs that were the government signs. It was crazy. I'd never seen anything like it, particularly coming from the San Francisco Bay Area, which, you know, was doing really, you know, still a good situation. It wasn't uh, feeling the effects of all this as much, not even close. So, but that still wasn't the time to go. The blood was still thick in the streets then. But once we started noticing come 1992, the market had bottomed out. It was starting to go up. It's like, now's the time. So we, we moved and we came here and we started buying houses. And of course, then the market went up and then we had the dot-com bubble and then the real estate bubble. And then guess what happens again? Uh, after the, uh, the government experienced the dot-com bubble, you need to have the economy revitalized. They lower the interest rates, lower the lending standards, uh, or at least uh, allowing these things again to happen, just like they did in the, the beginning part of this story in the late 18. Uh, the 1980s and early 1990s, and the same thing happened again. So when is it going to happen the next time? Well, people are talking about that now because we've got a market that's stretched yet again, and you've got that general 10-year real estate market cycle, and, and there you go. So that's what kind of got me to that stage of things. There's more to delve into, but I hope that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. And that's great insight, Mark. And you're right. I mean, we've been through a series of cycles now, and you would think that we're getting ready to have another cliffhanger. And we, I mean, nobody, economists, they're, they're saying totally opposite things from each other. Nobody really knows what's going on. So maybe the question for today or for you is, you know, how do you continue to be a, a savvy investor? How do you continue to invest? How do you continue to make sure that you're making a smart investing decisions in a volatile market like this? Yeah, that's the truth. Well, let me just share with you. I'll answer that question right now. And that's, you got to be cautious. When markets are stretched, you know, it's easy to come and say, oh, yeah, you can do all these things that worked five years ago, but that, that wouldn't be prudent and it, it would be a, a disservice because you've got to be cautious when any kind of market gets stretched because what happens when it gets stretched? Well, then it, it then goes back down. It's funny, DeRay, because when the market was really shooting up in the 2000s, after I'd been buying houses in the 90s and in the 2000s and stuff, and I was managing my parents' rental property portfolio as well, as along with my own. And my next door neighbor knew that I was into real estate investing and stuff like that. And when the market was really shooting up and everybody is talking real estate and, you know, they're buying a house and then, you know, selling it for a lot more in a very short amount of time. He's saying, hey, are you bu buying real estate? And I said, no. And he says, what? You're not buying real estate? And I said, no, I'm selling real estate. And, you know, that's the one thing to realize. People can get really excited by what they hear in the news and what they hear from their friends. But you know what? Those, a lot of the times, those people are at the, the latter stages. And they're the ones that, unfortunately, buy at the end and then they're holding on to something that's they bought a lot higher than what it's worth. So it's important to be a contrarian, DeRay. And if you are at a stretched out point, doesn't mean you can't still make money, but you know, are you going to buy and hold in a scenario like that? Or are you going to buy at a bargain price and sell to a buyer's list quickly and take the spread until the market then goes back down and then you start buying again and holding for it to go back up? You know, those are all personal investing decisions, but uh, it's not rocket science to know that you want to buy low, sell high, not buy high and risk 
it going down and not being able to really sell it too much higher if you're in a buy and hold situation. But you can prudently, you can be a wholesaler if the market's going up, down, sideways, whatever, because you're literally making your profit when you buy, knowing that, hey, I've got exit strategies in place with buyer's lists. I know what these people want. I know what they're willing to pay. I know they've got the cash to do it, and I know they can do it fast. So let's then supply the demand and know going in that what you are buying these properties for, you can turn a profit for quickly. And you're in and you're out, and then you're reducing your risk by knowing what you're going to do with that property once you've got it and not hold on to it too long. I love that. And you're totally right when it comes to, you know, wholesaling. I think that that's definitely a model that can, that can perform in any market. I honestly almost believe that any model can perform in, in any market. I believe that there are people making money in any and every market. So let's talk to your investment strategy more specifically and how you're mitigating risk in, in these markets. What is, so are you a long-term buy and hold investor? You're buying single family rental properties. Is that correct? That's, you know, I go through phases. Right now I haven't bought as much because of the stretched out scenario. I'm not interested in buying at the top of the market unless the terms are fantastic. And even then I'm not, I'm not so sure. You know, I'll back up just a, a second here. You know, when the hedge funds were buying up properties at prices that people thought were a little bit high, you know, they're in a unique situation. They're holding on to these properties. Rent is hot. You know, the, the have nots are only going to probably grow, which means rent is probably going to be a, you know, one of those things that rental properties are going to be a demand for a long time. And chances are prices are going to go up. So when you talk prices and they're going up, the next logical thing to consider are terms. So in a scenario like this, Jeray, I don't mind considering buying other things that I can buy and sell quickly, be it land, you know, like I alluded to before, wholesaling and things like that. But one of the things that I wouldn't mind doing is just kind of, and one of the things I'm doing now is just kind of holding off on buying long-term residential real estate. And I'm in the Phoenix market. It's a hot rental market. I could be buying properties under $200,000, definitely, that people are going to want to rent for me very quickly. The last house that I rented, I put it uh, available on Zillow and within 48 hours, I had about 30 people interested in the property. So we've got a really robust rental market. So that's not the issue. I just don't want to have a property that I'm, I'm working hard to buy for a lot, all things, you know, and that's all uh, different markets are different, but I'd rather buy on terms when the market goes down a bit. Because if you think of it, since we've had these low interest rates for quite a while, people have either bought the properties that they now live in at great interest rates, or they've refinanced into them, some of which have been 15-year terms. So as the market gets softer, because right now a lot of sellers, they think they've got gold, just like they did back in the 2000s when things are going up. It's like, oh, you, I'm not going to give my property away. You know, it's worth gold. And then, of course, those people are, are fleeing from their properties once the market gets slammed and they're dropping like crazy and they're walking away from their mortgages and short sales become hot and all that kind of thing. But, you know, if somebody is thinking, hey, I don't mind going after properties in good areas that have good cash flow, that have great terms. And as the market goes down, if it's a really long-term play that they're holding on to these houses, well, it's up to them what their comfort zone is as far as where they wouldn't mind getting this cash for keys uh, entry point at. So it's like cash for keys if you're buying property subject to the underlying financing, taking over payments, then terms becomes huge. And these people that think 
their property is worth gold now. They're the ones that are going to be saying, gosh, you know, my house is worth less. You know, it's not like they're savvy investors. A lot of times they just happen to buy right, buy at the right time of the cycle. You know, I was in the bank, just literally, Dre, one week ago, talking to the branch manager, who's a young guy buying, could be his first house, and he's all sweating an appraisal. And uh, I said, because he, he wants to get his loan, I said, look, don't sweat it in this time of the market. You know, things are good. Did you buy it right? What are the comps like? You know, he bought it reasonably. I said, you know, that appraisal is going to come in. You know, people, people get excited about these kinds of things, but they're, you know, it's one of those things that he said to me though, the reason why I bring it up, he says, yeah, my friend, it just bought a house and, you know, some months ago, now it's up $30,000. You know, it's like, that doesn't make the person an, an incredible investor. It means the timing is great, but these people think they've got gold right now. They're going to be the same people running away from their properties. And then you can start picking which properties have the best terms, knowing that, okay, these are going to be demand areas for some time. And that gets me far more excited than trying to please some seller right now who thinks that they've got gold in their property. I'd, I'd, I'd much rather make money, make my side money in other ways, be collecting it for when the time comes when the, the market drops again, and then just pick these properties up for a lot of times, hardly anything, you know, and just do it subject to the underlying financing. I know that, that was a like, rant and I covered a lot no of different things there, but I'm just sharing. It's definitely thorough. And it sounds like you're holding on to maybe a, a great deal of cash and kind of waiting to, to jump on some of these deals as they, as they come to the market. Mark, let's give some advice to first time listeners who are looking to get into their first property. And maybe they're kind of just now learning the idea of a motivated seller. And they're trying to figure out where, where do you find these sellers at? And how do you get in front of them before anybody else? Or how do you get in front of them in a way that allows them to know, trust and like you and, and decide to maybe do business with you? How do you find these motivated sellers if you're a first time investor and you have no experience, you don't have the credibility behind you to that, you know, that ensures a motivated seller that you can close. What do you, what are some of the things that you recommend? Here's the psychology behind it. If you're a first time person doing this uh, or you're a seasoned pro, obviously you need to find deals. And, uh, but if you're a first timer, just like with anything, it's all about confidence. Can I do it? Will they take me seriously? Can I help these people? What do I say? This and that. So let me just, let me diffuse all of those, those inner insecurities because we all have them. You know, I, I still, I'm a human. I still have scenarios where I, I feel that. So what we have to remember is real estate is a people sport. You know, the reason why we're able to do things with real estate is because of people. You know, people weren't interested in buying our houses or renting our houses, except for the ones that we're living in you know, why do we need those? You know, as far as if they're not, if there's no demand, there's you know, not as much value, right? I, I say just hypothetically there, but the fact that people are involved, that's what it's all about. So much like I said about my grandfather in the beginning, it's about helping people. These are people, motivated sellers are, are just, are simply people that have a problem that problem has to do usually with the financing that is on the house that they live in. And for whatever reason, they've got a financial uh, challenge, some pain going on in their life. You know, we've all heard about it, you know, back especially when the markets are down, but it can be a divorce, it can be a job loss, it can be, hey, I've got too much debt, uh, whatever. It can be a death in the family, can't afford the payments anymore. So they've got a problem. So as real estate investors, it's not like we're sharks coming in and, you know, hey, I'm going to steal this property. No, it's not that at all. We've got a business. We're business owners. We're not in business to do just one deal. We're in business to do a number of deals, regardless of what business we're in. You know, we want to 
have our service be provided over and over again. So from that standpoint, we want to be ethical and moral and kind and friendly and all those kinds of things. We don't have to be sharks or anything like that. So to answer your question, really in any kind of marketing that you're doing, like if you're finding certain neighborhoods that, that you want to be buying a house in, let's say. You've done your due diligence. You've checked on Zillow. You've seen the property values. You've seen the rent estimates. You've gone over to rentometer.com. You've gotten some uh, other rents in certain areas, whatever. So, you know, okay, these are areas that I can buy in at a pretty good price. These are also, you've married those up with the same kind of areas that have a higher than than average rent or in comparison to other areas. So, you know, you know, some areas that you're interested in, in owning properties in for the long term. And then you can just start mailing to these these homeowners. That can be one thing. Like I said, I, I've got a course that's got 85 different ways and there are definitely different ways that you can go about it. But essentially, if you've got a job, you're working hard, you got a life, you, there's only so much time in the day to do certain things. You want to automate a lot of things. You want to be able to do some marketing that drives people to a website where you offer something that's going to help them. So what I call these things, DeRay, are solution magnets because these people need a solution. And if they can find somebody that's there to help them, give them a solution, that's really what they need. So in our marketing, if we can be letting them know, because obviously people that aren't motivated home sellers, they they can just list their house in a traditional way. They've got time to sell it and they sell it for market value. But these motivated home sellers, they need to sell fast because they need to get out from underneath this mortgage payment because they might not be able to make any more. And they might have missed a couple, a few. They might not be in foreclosure yet. The bank is you know, letting them slide, but they know they've got a problem. They've got to get out from underneath it. Back to the original question. So these motivated sellers you're talking about that are behind on their payments, that are almost behind on their payments. How do we find them? How does a first-time investor find this person? Excellent. Thanks for reeling me back in, Dre, because I can go. (laughs) I'll tell you, this is what it was like at dinner at our house. We would just brainstorm and plus each other's ideas and this and that. It was a lot of fun. Well, essentially, with your marketing, when you find these areas that you're interested in, do you know who's behind on payments if, they, if there's no pre-foreclosure notice out there? And by the way, you know, once the pre-foreclosure no, or the foreclosure notice is given by the bank, then all the investors can find out about it. So what you want to do is you want to find out beforehand. So after you've done your due diligence of areas that you wouldn't mind owning a house in for the long term uh, as a landlord, you start marketing to those areas, letting them know, hey, if you're behind on your payments, if you need any help at all, let me know. I'm here to help you. In fact, I've got a report on how you can sell your house fast without using a real estate agent. Uh, Let's just say, okay? So if you have a report like that that you're offering for free on your website and people are like, man, I don't have much equity in my house. I can't afford a real estate agent. I can't spend all the time it's going to take me to list this house and then find a buyer and then they've got to get their financing going. All, All that sort of stuff. You know, they need an answer faster than that. If you give them some kind of a solution like that, drive them to your website, they get your free report on how you can sell your house fast in seven days, which by the way, the report is telling them all the ways that you can be helping them sell their house fast through, you know, by buying it from them, of course. And you're also giving other ways that that may or may not work for them. Like I just said, they, a lot of them, they don't have the, the uh, equity in their house for the commissioner. They don't have the time to go through it. And, but what it's done is it has, they've given you their email address, they've gotten the report, and you can follow up with them. And then you can start the conversation and also be able to give solutions. Another thing to raise is to have videos that 
also elude to these kinds of things. It's not just finding the properties, it's winning these people over. That's essentially the question you're asking. So by having different solution magnets in place, be it a report that's going to help them, which sounds minimal unless you're the person that really needs that information, that can be huge. Of course, you position it in a way that is letting these people know all the ways that your service can help them. These days, as we all know, we get to know people socially through social media, through videos. We don't know these people, but we feel like we do. That's why the, the followings are so large on YouTube, because we just feel like we know these people. We like them, this and that. You can do the same thing in your business by offering solutions in your videos and winning these people over, get the appointment to talk with these people, and then, you know, like a friend, you are asking questions about these people. Not necessarily about the house, but just, you know, you go in just like you always hear, oh, I see you're into this. Oh, that's cool. You know, oh, yeah, I'm into that. You start to know them like you would get to know a friend. And the way that you get to know somebody as a friend is you just ask them questions about themselves. That then reduces their anxiety. They begin to like you a little bit, trust you a little bit. Then when you get into the conversation of what the real problem is for them here, what's going to happen if they can't sell this house? you know, what's looming around the corner, in other words, then you can start giving them the real solutions to their real problems and start writing that into a contract so it works for both of you. There you go. That's great advice, Mark. So it sounds like the first thing that a, a newbie investor should do is kind of decide on, on what market you want to invest in and start doing research on that market, figuring out home prices, figuring out comps, figure out what, what things are selling for and figuring out how much you can rent out those houses. And once you've kind of narrowed down on your area, on your market, then it's time to start uh, start uh, having these lead magnets and let's maybe drill down specifically on mailers. So let's talk about, you know, the fact that you've selected your market and you know, maybe you even selected your neighborhood, you know, so it's now time to start uh, sending out mailers. And it sounds like from what you're telling me is that once they're behind on payments, now all investors know that, you know, it's time to attack or quote unquote attack. But what you want to do is you want to be proactive rather than reactive. So you want to start sending out mailers. I just kind of want to make sure we're giving our, our listeners the, the best method for going about, you know, once they found their neighborhood and it's time to, to start, you know, reaching out to motivated sellers, are we just kind of going um, row by row in the neighborhoods and sending out mailers? Or is there still yet still another way to drill down and, and find motivated sellers? Well, as far as what we've done in this particular strategy, DeRay, is we've done a kind of the umbrella shotgun approach where you're building relationships, whether these people realize it or not. And so you could be sending postcards that not are just giving your service, but are also offering something for free. Because the person that is feeling the pinch, it's you're connecting with them. They're the ones that you're trying to get your postcard around or whatever you're sending out, but postcard's the least expensive. It's going to get read because you don't have to open anything. And you're letting them know, hey, if you're this person, I've got something that can help you. And that and as these people start to see this more and more, they know that you're the person that's the go-to person if they ever need help. Because, of course, your marketing is going to be letting them know that. And you're around. You're, you continue to be around. And so when the time comes where one of these people in this neighborhood has a problem, they're, of course, going to be thinking, probably, if your marketing's doing what it should be, of you. Now, are, do you know positively that everybody's going to be just fine in this, in this neighborhood and never have a problem? Well, this is America. And most people have money problems because they don't manage their money very well. And they've got debt and they're not saving for their retirement and this and that. So chances are they're going to they're gonna be people in an area they are going to have some challenges. And so you want to get in front of them and let them know, hey, I'm here to help you. 
kind of rounding out the section, last but not least, of how to find and, and get motivated sellers. So we're sending out these mailers. How uh, the la My last two questions is this. How often are we sending out a mailer to the same exact address? And when is it a good idea to, to go ahead and stop? Like, when do we be like, enough is enough. Let's move to another neighborhood. Or let's move to another market. Let's stop wasting dollars on, you know, this particular area. How many mailers have you sent out by that time? You bet. It's a great question. And I can tell you one of the neat things about having properties that fall in these neighborhoods is the fact that I will see the mailers that my competition sends out and I'll see how often they send them out. And I know that the bigger guys that have been around for just years and years and years, I won't see them very often, but I'll see them frequently enough to recognize them. And of course, I, I keep those. I know what the competition's doing when it comes to that kind of thing. So I get an idea of what the competition is, which is important. And so a lot of times I might not see anything from them. You know, it might be every couple of months, which is fine. And it really depends on one's marketing budget. You know, if somebody doesn't have a whole lot to invest in that, well, then they might want to pick an area that they know they're interested in. They might also, if they were to niche it down some more, Jure, they might say, well, you know what? I want four-bedroom houses, not three-bedroom houses. So take those three-bedroom houses out. I mean, I don't know what your neighborhood, the person is listening right now. I know different neighborhoods are different. I know here we've got a lot of four-bedroom and we've got a lot of three-bedroom houses. We've got two bath and more. So rentals here are far better if it's a four-bedroom than a three-bedroom. And by that, I mean there's going to be more demand. You're going to be able to charge more for it. So if I'm somebody just starting out, I'm going to find that the neighborhoods that I'm interested in, and I might just say, you know what? I'm not mailing to any of the three-bedroom houses, only the four-bedroom houses. So that way I can mail more often. And then also, if, if budget is a, is a concern, which it should be, uh, especially when you're just getting started, you don't have to do the whole town, you know, find a neighborhood, you know, find whatever number is going to work good for you. If, if it's a couple hundred, if it's 500, if it's a thousand houses, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with so that you can be marketing to them every once in a while. You know, in the beginning, can you do it for once a month and see what happens and, and go from there? But really, it's a timing thing. That's a shotgun approach. That's just one out of several ways that one can be going after things. But it's a way that you can start to really make an impact in an area that you are passionate about owning homes in, and you can start beating out some of the competitors before they ever know that this house is, has gone into foreclosure because you've gotten it before it's gone into foreclosure. Of course, that's known as pre-foreclosure. So you're really just working the market and you're letting them know. And DeRay, I am a big proponent on whenever you've done something, you've got something to market. So when you've bought a house and you've saved a family, you can be putting that in your marketing. If you then sell that house or you've rented that house out or whatever, you've kept it from being vacant, you've kept it from being vandalized, stuff like that, you can be letting people know, hey, look, I saved another house. I've helped your property values in the process and now I'm looking for the next family to help. You know, so you really are the go-to person. You're proving to these people that you're there to help by one, helping them and then letting everybody know, hey, I helped another family. I'm here to help you too if and when you need it or if you know anybody that does. Some families receive multiple mailers from multiple investors throughout the weeks and months and years and so on and so forth. And sometimes it's just a stroke of luck that, you know, your mailer is the one that they happen to pick up when, when they're in distress and they call you and you go ahead and help them solve their problem and you buy their house or whatever it is. But Mark, what have you seen as far as look, feel, typography? What have you seen has converted better as far as the mailers go? What, what advice can you give to listeners when they're looking to start their mailing campaign? 
It's an excellent question because some areas are much more competitive than others. I've always been in very competitive marketplaces, be it the San Francisco Bay Area or Phoenix. You know, those are two really competitive markets. So that's a wonderful question. And one's going to be timing and other's going to be just the connection that people feel to what your marketing is. And I've seen so many go to the same house and some really pale in comparison. The bottom line is that people want the solution of, you know what, I, I can't stand this anymore. It's killing me. I'm up at night. I'm, I feel terrible and I need somebody to help me. So what is the solution for that? I can buy your house really fast. You're not going to have to fix it up. You can tell me when you want to move. You know, I'll pay the closing cost. You know, these are all basic things, but that is essentially what people want. You know, I'll give you a fair price, all of that, that's what people want to hear. So, and that's what they're hearing from a number of different people. So, uh, you know, it's not as though we have the market cornered on, hey, you can just cut out all your competition because that's not how life works. But the timing, like you said, is imperative. And then also how you can personalize it to have a human touch. And that's why, you know, what I see with most people that are, that are, definitely putting money into their marketing to Ray, they're not giving away a darn thing. They're providing the same service that most all the other ones are. And that's a lot of the bullet points that I just mentioned there. So how can you rise above the surface? And that, you know, one is to give them something. You know, a lot of times they're being bombarded by people making them feel horrible because their finances, you know, they might feel bad because the family members know, but they're certainly you know, they're, they know that they're behind on payments because they might be in collection and all that kind of stuff. So they feel terrible. So what do they want to do? Reach out to somebody in the, in the financial world to help them? You know, that's an uncomfortable call to make. So let's make it as easy as possible and say, look, I want to give you something. You don't have to talk to me. Just go over there, see what I've got, this and that. Then they see a video of you and you're talking. And all of a sudden they get to know you a little bit. They get to feel good about you if you are portraying that sort of thing. That's the very beginning of all of this was when you come from the position of really wanting to help people, knowing that, look, this is either going to be a referral if they do nothing. Uh, at the very least, I'm going to give them some information that might help them. But at the end of the day, they might want to talk to me and then I can further the conversation. I mean, that takes a lot of the pressure off of us and it helps us to do things that a lot of the other investors aren't doing because even though their mailers might look a little different, they're essentially saying the same thing. You could be saying the same thing too, but you're doing it in a way where people connect with people these days. And that's through social, online social. So let's go with the trend. Why is Facebook so big? Why is YouTube being bought by Google? Because people are watching videos. People want to connect. Let's help connect with them in the way that everybody is. So in the beginning, we're doing things in a seemingly very basic way. But that postcard is like gold if we treat it right. And if we reach out and give and then continue the social interaction and engagement through video and through gift giving and the whole psychological uh, effect of uh, reciprocity by giving and this and that, who wouldn't want that in their biggest time of need when most people are you know, saying, hey, I can buy your house. Yeah, I can buy your house, but you know, I can help you through this by giving you some solutions, by being an ear. You know, I'm not saying waste your time being a psychologist, but I'm saying be a friend. And I, I hope you make the distinction there. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? How to Win Friends and Influence People had a really big impact on me, without a doubt. I've read a lot of different ones. I like creativity. I like entrepreneurs and things like that. But that was a biggie because it helps us with a lot of what we've just talked about. And that's dealing with people. And that's huge with this. 
What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Yeah, that's a good question. I'll tell you, I'm behind on apps. So <laughs> so the apps that I like are the apps that I can get property information on as quickly as possible, be it a, a Zillow or Realtor.com or things like that. But I'll be the first to admit, you know, I'm, I'm an old dude and um, I had a flip phone for a long time and then I got the smartphone and this and that. So I, I haven't do dove into the apps. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Freedom. Freedom. Gosh, you know, I haven't had a regular job, DeRay, since 2004. And, you know, I've worked from home. I've also had, you know, I've had other businesses. I've had brick and mortar businesses and things like that. But it, uh, one of the neat things about real estate is, again, not rocket science. So an old wannabe rock and roller can definitely do it. Uh, especially when he's being good to people and they want to give repeat business or referrals or, you know, just good word of mouth, all that kind of stuff. But it's the freedom. It truly is the freedom, especially when you've set things up right. If you're a buy and hold investor, of course, it's not as sexy as the, the wholesaling where you, hey, buy it for this and sell it for that and then you're out. But it's a different animal. You know, it's a wealth creator and an ongoing potential income stream, which then, of course, allows you to do the things that you want to do. And it's all about the numbers. You know, it's like, okay, what's my money? my monthly overhead and okay how can I have certain things in my life that I'm investing in provide for that you know let me back up real fast and I promise I will be quick but one of the things that we did not touch on was during the 1990s I lived in a single wide mobile home Duray that I bought for 5500 bucks I went to the park because there were some vacancies and I said, look, I'm going to move this mobile home unless you give me some free lot rent. Lot rent was 203 and change a month. They gave me two. So that essentially got my uh, home down to almost 5,000 bucks. Came with a brand new refrigerator almost and a washer dryer. One of those was almost new. And I lived there for six years and I had incredibly low overhead. And in the meantime, you know, I bought some properties and if my tenants only knew they were living a lot better than me. But the bottom line is, you know, try and live within your means as you're getting rolling and see what it's going to take to replace that overhead. And then you can start to see, okay, I'm going to expand my lifestyle and things like that. But as long as you're living, you know, where the numbers make sense, you can have a lot of freedom in your life. And I've got a lot more now than I did then. You know, I got, I sold the mobile home and I loved, I loved the experience. But then, um, you know, life when you're making good decisions has a, a better chance of going your way because you've made some sacrifices. So um, all those things are fun and it's the freedom, definitely. Mark, did you cheat and look at my next question? Here's no. Question. <laughs> I, know, I know you didn't. Okay. What was it? Here's the next question. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Absolutely. Well, you know, I didn't have the money. You know, even though I came from the background that I came in, really the philosophy was, Mark, here's how you do it. Now it's up to you to go do it. I had the love and support of my family and I had the input and even the some sometimes the financial support as well if I needed it. But really, I had to go and do it. So while I was in that mobile home, DeRay, I had confidence challenges. Even though I had been in California, been a, an agent and a broker and things like that, uh, it took me a while to get the traction to know and have the confidence to know, hey, I can do this. Much like I alluded to earlier for the listeners that are brand new, they, they're probably rocking and rolling whatever it is they're great at. But like anything, when we try something new, we lack some confidence, you know? So, uh, and I was certainly in that boat. And... At the same time, I was then um, helping my 
father buy houses in Phoenix, Phoenix area. And I was the, uh, I was the landlord. I managed the properties. I did all of the stuff. He didn't want to deal with any of that stuff. I did it. So what did that do? That built my confidence. And I realized, Hey, I can be doing this for myself as well and all of that. But in the early days, I lived within my means. I lived in a single wide mobile home. I bought it in 1994. I believe it was built in 72. So it was a little older and I contemplated, how can I make my life better? And knowing all these kinds of things and your listeners, you know, from this podcast, hopefully they've gotten a little bit, certainly from all the other ones. I know there's so many great people in this industry that you've interviewed, you know, from there you say, okay, well, how do I want to go after it? And they can. So those are some of the sacrifices that I did. And, and I'm so grateful that I did because now, you know, your last question, it's the freedom. Love it. Love it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? It would be my dad, for sure. You know, he was super smart, even though most people wouldn't know him in the industry today, necessarily. He, now, he passed away some years ago, but before the internet, he was, uh, he was a mover and shaker. And some of the people that became national educators, uh, they got a lot of help from my dad, who was a giving person. And he just, he knew, he had the answers. He had the answers to so many things. And like I said, he had the crystal ball. Okay, now we do this. Now's the time to buy. Now's the time to sell this and that. Gosh, talk about a value there, huh? <laughs> Sounds like an amazing, amazing man. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Absolutely. Well, it's between our ears. It's really between our ears. I mean, it's going to be other things too. It's our upbringing and, and things like that. Without a doubt, you know, the input. But the great thing is, heck, they can go to the library for free and, and learn lots of things and get a lot of uh, self-help type of positive thinking and all that kind of stuff, which is incredibly important. I love that kind of stuff. And then it's just, it's the discipline. And I think sometimes too, DeRay, we think we've got to do something that's huge in order to make this big impact when really it's the small steps. You know, if you think about just now, your listeners, we all, you know, we're making money each month. What are we doing with that money? If we start to think about, all right, X amount, yes, we've always always heard, well, we need to pay ourselves first. Well, how do we do that? Well, what if you're taking X amount of percentage of that income and you're putting it into something? You're putting it into something each month and then it's growing. So even if you've been a crazy person with all the rest of the money, you've been having fun, you're posting on Facebook, all these places you're going, this and that, but this side money that you've been investing is growing and growing and growing. At the end of some years, you know, it's hopefully going to have done something. So uh, at the very least, get the discipline down to know, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take X amount of dollars to do X amount of things with, and I'm going to be disciplined about it. There is, there's no deviation from this plan. I'm going to make X amount of dollars. I'm going to take a certain percentage, and I'm going to pay myself in a way that this money is going to work for me in a way that I'm going to be happy with. And so once you start to shift that perspective a little bit, then you're like, okay, well, where can I put that to make some good money and to be happy with this? And of course, diversification is a key. Just because I'm a real estate guy doesn't mean that's the only place I'm putting it, but it's certainly one of the great ways. It's how wealth's been generated over the years and this and that. So um, it's just decide. Decide that now's the time. I know I've got some other things going on, but I've decided to do this 
too. And once you've got that, you've got the power in your, you can just feel it in your core. Just me saying that makes me get a feeling. So once you know, all right, this is what I'm doing and I'm going to take steps right now to do whatever that thing is, um, be it learn a certain strategy or whatever, just like real estate, there's a million things. They could listen to all your podcasts. There's probably all kinds of strategies. Gravitate towards one that works for you and then figure out, you know, you know the result you want, reverse engineer it. A lot of courses are going to help you with that. And then just start making progress along those lines. For me, it was starter homes. It's simple, simple to understand. Doesn't take a whole lot of money. It's a people sport. You're helping people. It's a good business to be in. And of course, with the tax advantages, potential appreciation, mortgage buy down by tenants, the fact that you can get into these things with some creative financing, pretty sweet. Pretty good. Hey, before we go, Duray, can I give these people something that they can go yeah, and, and yeah, just get? Okay. Again, I think you're looking at my notes here and you're skipping, you're getting to all of my notes <laughs> before I have. So okay, wait, good. let me ask you this. Where can the listeners learn more about you? How can the listeners get a hold of you? And is, do you have anything to give our listeners today? That's a great question. You're right. I've got to stop looking over your shoulders. This is crazy. You're in Dallas. I'm in the Phoenix area. How do I do it? Okay. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to stay true to my word earlier, much like I said, as we reach out to motivated home sellers, want to give them something. I want to give you guys something. If you go to my website, creatingwealthclub.com forward slash kit, that's K-I-T, creatingwealthclub.com forward slash kit. I've got what I call the Profit Potential Success Kit because I've got a Profit Potential newsletter that I send out daily. If you go to that success kit, you're going to find some free books. It's re- it's over $290 worth of real value real estate investing. I'm not hyping that at all. I've got a book that I put together on how to find millions in private money loans. I've got another book that I put in there that I wrote that's called uh, The One Extra House Profit Formula. That's going to really be a great extension from the things that we've talked about here. I've got a resources guide. I've got a bunch of things. I've got like six different things in there. Uh, and you'll also get access. You'll be able to start getting my daily newsletter. But I think it's going to help you a lot and it's something that I want to give. So creatingwealthclub.com forward slash kit, K-I-T. Hope that helps. Love it, love it, love it. Creatingwealthclub.com forward slash kit and better believe that every single link mentioned on today's episode will be in the show notes. So definitely, definitely visit the show notes listeners and we'll have every single link that Mark has mentioned. Mark, this has been amazing. Hopefully listeners have gained from some insight uh, in your life. I know I have. The ex-musician himself has went from rock and roll to real estate and it's, it's amazing. Thank you for sharing your Before the Million story. Thank you for walking us through the idea of going after motivated sellers and how to contact them with direct mailers was simply amazing this has been inspirational for me and others and hopefully we'll catch up soon sounds good Dre thanks and thanks for everybody listening I hope you're as excited as I'm about this and I wish you nothing but the best 